What's up? Did you see Star Wars? I did. Did you? Yeah, let's just spend the whole episode just talking about Star Wars. Yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Probably be our most popular episode ever. <laughs> Dude, I mean, they've been cross-promoting with everything. I mean, literally the grocery store had Star Wars oranges with like a picture of BB-8 on them. <laughs> Yeah, if they they could just put like a BB-8 sticker on the outside of an orange and be. It wasn't even a sticker. It was just like the packaging, like they were just normal oranges that had Star Wars on the label in place of the regular oranges. It is like ridiculous the kind of shit that they can. That this franchise is so huge. I'll be right back. I have to go get some BB-8 oranges. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. How are you? I'm okay. Been getting caught up over the holidays. How are you? Um, I've been spending my entire day dealing with deployments. I'm working on a client that doesn't deploy to something like Heroku or even Engine Yard, but instead uh, is deploying to uh, their own hardware. So this client's deploying to their own hardware, which was fine. Like I, I first started working with them months ago, um, and then we took a break, and now I'm working re-engaged with them again. And so months ago, I set up Capistrano, which was my first time doing that. And I was like, oh, this is pretty great. This is fine. Let's just run this cap task and it deploys. Perfect. And then in the interim, a bunch of security got added to the mixture here. So I can no longer from my machine SSH into the deployment machine directly. I have to, and even before, what I had to do was get a Kerberos ticket and then use that to SSH into the deployment machine. So okay. now what I have to do is get a get a Kerberos ticket SS, as myself, SSH into one machine, get a Kerberos ticket as my user with elevated privileges, and then SSH into the deployment machine. So I have not found like a tunneling setup or a uh, Capistrano setup that likes that. So I'm down to writing scripts. Uh, Can they not just use server. like a VPN? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. It's an excellent question. But that's what I've been dealing with. And then also like the fact that the server they gave us to be a staging server was set up entirely differently than the server that they gave us to be a production server. So I'm like, right before I came down here, I was looking, poking through H, um, the httpd.conf directories, looking for pa uh, passenger configurations. And <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. I'm at that point in my life. So Fun. <laughs> right. But I mean, it sounds like deployment's been good other than that part well yeah now i have to totally redo it right. right so like i got a script i like where i just left it is i got i got a script running that did most of what capistrano was doing only you had to do it only you have to run it locally you have to ssh into the machine first and then run the script because i just couldn't figure a way to do the tunneling through all these through with the needed different like needing to elevate yourself to a different kerberos ticket just seemed impossible hmm. to do via tunneling i might have been able to script it somehow i'm not sure so yeah, right before I came down here, I got the app installed and running. Like I can get a, I can get Rails console running, but then Apache crashes. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> problematic. Right. Um, the Does lesson it give is you use an error when it crashes, at least. Um, not really. There's nothing particularly useful in the log that it points me at. Uh, or at least useful to me. I don't really know anything. This is I'm way above like my comfort zone with this stuff so like i can get in and poke around a little bit and tweak some things but once things start going poorly once things go south it's like i'm just grasping at straws on this front right what else what else is going on rails 5 still chugging along cool when is uh when, when are we getting the final release for that 
Good question. I think February probably. Okay, so you say February, I'll say April. Yes, that's fine. Okay. Um, I played around a little bit last night with Rails 5, trying to mostly just trying to get an idea how I'm going to support it in clearance and in Scenic, I guess. But Scenic support is pretty easy because we only depend on active record and nothing that we depend on there has really changed. So Scenic support, Rails 5, good to go. Uh, clearance does not. <laughs> and I've got to decide, like I've got to make a decision on how I'm going to support it. Like, do I want to say uh, any work I do is only going to be towards 2.0, which I've been talking about now for a year. Um, and now I'm just ready to be like, I'm just going to start breaking stuff and move to 2.0. Or do I want to like, as my final act of 1.x, add Rails 5 support so that nobody is like furiously trying to update their app to Rails 5 and then finds out they have to update clearance at the same time and take all these other breaking changes. When you say break stuff, do you mean like break support for Rails 4? No, I mean like I'm going to make regular semantic version breaking changes to oh, clearance. Okay, I think um, you should just go for 2.0. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Because I was thinking that I, I was thinking like if I make Rails 5 support dependent on upgrading to clearance 2.0, then you have to not only take on the breaking changes that you're taking on in your app for Rails 5, you also have to take on the breaking changes I'm making to clearance. Um, which, if you haven't done much customization, probably won't be bad at all. Um, and cust by customization, I mean not configuration changes. I mean like overriding controllers. Right. If you haven't done much for that, it shouldn't be too bad at all. But I, I kind of like the idea of divorcing the two. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of, of that sort of stuff, in the last episode that went out as the, at the time that we're recording this, which might not be the most recent episode, but I mentioned uh, something about RSpec and Rails 5 support, and I made it, I guess, sound more official than I intended to. Um, and it was just a thing that one of the contributors is thinking about doing and hasn't made a decision on, and he asked me to clarify that because I made it sound really official. So, uh, sorry, Sam. I think I remember this was, we were saying that they were going to bump the RSpec version to drop support for 187. Is that what you were talking about? or uh, Drop support for 187 and also Rails 3.0 and 3.1. And I'm not sure about 3.2. Yeah. Okay. So that's not official. Things that are being kicked around. Um, yeah. I mean, nothing's yeah, I didn't mean to make it sound official, but I nothing's guess official until it's done, right? Like I've been talking about shipping clearance 2.0 for a year now. <laughs> it's not done. Right. So it's not official. <laughs> And that's something, too, I'm going to take the opportunity there. Like, I'm starting to think about what versions of Rails do I have to support if I go to Clearance 2.0. And I want to do, I think the position I'm going to take with both Scenic and Clearance is I'm going to support what Rails Core supports. So for once Rails 5 rele is released, that'll be 4.2 and 5, right? Yeah, uh, last major and last minor. Right, so 4.2 and 5. For C In Scenic's case, I'm just, the hope is that I will just bump the major version with that being the only breaking change which is as long as you are not using Rails 4.0 or 4.1, then you're fine. So that's that's the case there. And then in, in clearance case, I'll be dropping support for uh, 3.2, 4.0, and 1.9.3, 2.0, and breaking a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> So dropping two O's because you want required keyword arguments. Yeah, I think so. And I don't think I I've, I don't think I've seen a project yet that has made it to two O and hasn't bothered to go on to two one two 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 three. Yeah, I mean two O wasn't particularly hard from one nine either. Right. So I feel like I might as well take that opportunity because of that is kind of a major language feature. I feel like that I have gotten used to using, and certainly if I didn't have the Travis tests running on older versions of Ruby, 
I probably would end up sneaking some of those in there and breaking changes. So like it's something I want, I find myself wanting to use. So I might as well make it so that I just can use them. Yeah. No, I think that's fine. Have you, uh, speaking of Ruby two, three, have you got a chance, have you had a chance to play with the lonely operator at all? Um, I have not played with it. I've just seen it and it just like, does it have any advantages over try conciseness? Conciseness and depending on what try you're using in rails, I remember if it's with a bang or without a bang, but one of them catches uh, no argument errors or no unknown method error as well. Yeah, it's with a so I feel like with a bang, you're getting behavior. This I, we talked about this with with Joe Ferris recently. Um, with a bang, if you call a method that doesn't exist on something other than nil, I think you get an error. Does that make sense? So like the idea of try is like this thing might be nil or it might be the object I want. Let's look this up right now. We've also, I, I just, I know I've also seen it used in the code base for, and I also don't have an object and I don't know if it responds to this method or not. So give me nil if it doesn't respond to that method. Right. And I think there's one other semantic change where like if you do like try nil question mark, you'll get true back from nil. Whereas with the lonely operator, you would get nil back because the lonely operator returns nil for all methods called on nil. Right. That makes sense. So documentation here says try bang is the same as try but will raise a no method error if the receiver is not nil and does not implement the tried method. Yeah, so, so without right. the bang, it also swallows no method errors. Right. Well, all no method errors. It's, oh, with, with the bang, it's swallowing no method errors, just the ones on nil, <laughs> right? Because those are, those are no method errors as well. Right. Well, because right. that's sort of the point. You, you, <laughs> right. you don't want to try and call the method if right. the value is nil in all of the cases. The interesting thing is at some point in... It's defined in active support, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at some point in active support's lifetime, the behavior of try without the bang switched to be the behavior of try bang. And then in the very next release, switched back <laughs> and introduced the try bang to do the, yeah. the thing. Sounds about right. Sounds like somebody saying this is dangerous and then somebody else going, this is a massive breaking change. Why would, we, why would you do right. this? Right. But those things are confusing because you, like, you learn it one way. And then you're like, oh, okay, they changed it. <laughs> and you go on living your life thinking they changed it. And then you find out, oh, no, wait, it went back. Hopefully we changed it back in a minor at least, or in a patch release at least. So that way it's like there's not some version of Rails floating around where the behavior of try is different. Yeah, I think it was like when it went from 3.2 to 4, changed the behavior of try, and then 4.0 to 4.1, maybe changed it back or something like that. Uh, see, I would hope that like four four point zero point one would have changed it back. That sounds that sounds about right. Though I vaguely recall that happening with four. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we'll look up the actual uh, stuff and put the, put it in the show notes. So if you want to see the history of the behavior of try and try bang, you can go to bikeshed.fm slash forty seven. So yeah, the lonely operator. Anyway, so it's vaguely different than try, and it's more succinct. It is so. Tell the people what it looks like because I forget what was actually settled upon. <laughs> It was going to be question mark, but it's not, right? It's ampersand or something now? Or Well, so the safe navigation operator, as it's sometimes re referred to, is question mark dot in most languages that support it. Examples of languages that support it are Groovy, Swift, CoffeeScript. I'm sure there's others. But uh, question mark dot, of course, can't be an operator in Ruby because we have methods that end with question mark. So originally it was dot question mark, which then could lead to something like value 
dot question mark method name question mark dot question mark and it just looked ugly and was visually confusing if you also had predicate methods involved anywhere so it was changed to be ampersand dot and Matt's at RubyConf said that if you look at ampersand dot it kind of looks like a guy sitting in a corner slumped down uh, staring at a at a rock like by himself and looking kind of sad so yeah I can see that the, the lonely operator. <laughs> that's where the name comes from okay i was wondering where the name comes from yeah. i thought it was lonely because nobody liked it but <laughs> no i mean i don't i just it i don't like the looks of it and i don't understand what it like why not implement try instead and just have it be a regular method rather than special syntax basically because nil ends up getting everywhere and you want something less noisy yeah but if you if you find way. yourself doing like uh if you find yourself doing, you know, foo dot try, bar dot try, like if you if you find yourself chaining multiple tries, you've gone astray, because at that yeah. point you you no longer you've like lost the idea of where this nil might be coming in, right? Instead of swallowing it way back at the first time it was coming out, you're letting it you're letting it dance around your application all over the place, and you're just throwing tries everywhere, and you don't know why. Um, so like when I do when I do use try in an application, I'll leave it at like the fringes and if i ever end up passing that value somewhere else then it's like okay what am i going to do about this and then i'm then i'll generally switch to the null object pattern while i do agree with you and the argument is that this is totally no different than using uh bind on a maybe in haskell except that there's no type safety involved at all other than <laughs> like yeah sure. just ignoring that <laughs> Like you're not forced to handle it, right? Like which is what bind is for. Right. Um, yeah, so it's totally different. <laughs> right. No, I agree with you. No, and it, uh, I mean I do like the operator in languages where it has like type semantics. So in Swift, question mark dot only works on an option. And then in Rust, we have the try macro, which is um, on a result if you, if the value's there, unwrap it, and if it's an error, return that error. Right, and there's a proposal that I think was accepted. I'm not positive off the top of my head, but that basically makes it so that a question mark at the end of any value anywhere is sugar for the try macro. And so then, if you want to call methods on the result of something that would have come out of the try macro, that will end up being question mark dot as well. Yeah, that's pretty. That's familiar for people, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, one thing they did add that I will probably end up making use of, I mean, it's too early to say that I will not make use of this lonely operator. Like, I use a lot of things that I don't like the looks of. Like, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of one nine hash syntax. I'm still not a big fan of one nine hash syntax. I use it, right? Uh, I wasn't a big fan of symbol to proc. I didn't like the way it looked for some reason. And now I'd like, I, I prefer the way that looks. Um, recently, I've been trying to do, um, use ampersand method more which is kind of like symbol to proc, except it does, instead of passing what the block yields, I'm trying to try to say this right, <laughs> instead of, hmm, how would you succinctly describe ampersand method? Uh, taking an instance method as an anonymous function. Right, and then, so, so whereas symbol to proc will take the symbol you define and create a proc out of it, or the, the method you define that maps to that symbol to create a proc out of it and then pass the value being yielded to that, ampersand method does the opposite, right? You pass it, um, ampersand method means, <laughs> I'm stumbling all over myself, but basically you define the method that you want to, 
wow, I'm just saying the same thing twice. Maybe I don't understand it as much as I think I do. What I wish they had done is um, had ampersand dot instead of being like this special operator. Um, I wish it was instead, or the special operator specifically for calling a method may, uh, maybe on nil. I wish I wish they had gone the way that you were saying and implement try, and then at the same time also implemented uh, ampersand dot as a uh, shorthand for getting an instance method as a proc, which would then make it easier. Because the the problem with with doing ampersand method is as soon as you need to pass any other arguments as well. You can't do it. Right. Well, that's the same as symbol to proc. Uh, symbol to proc splats subsequent arguments. Also, oh, if, the, if the block yields multiple arguments, it splats them? Yeah. So the first okay. argument um, is the receiver, and all subsequent arguments are arguments to the method. But if you don't control that block and you had some constant that you wanted to add as additional parameters, you, you can't do that. Right. Okay. So here's how I would explain it. I'm going to take one more shot. Okay. <laughs> okay. So symbol to proc... What you're doing is you're defining the method that you want to call on the object being yielded, right? Ampersand method, you are defining the method that you want the object to be called with as a parameter. So you're defining a method that you're going to pass as the parameter rather than the other way around. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to parse that. I mean, ampersand method is literally just this dot in JavaScript is the easiest way to think about it. Yes. Perfect. Maybe with dot bind if you want to really get super strict <laughs> about how JavaScript's going to lose the value of this, but still. Symbol to proc, you're calling a method on the object. Ampersand method, you're calling you're a method. The object. You're calling you're a calling method, method with self. the object. Right. So it's on versus with. Sure. There we go. <laughs> it's also slow as hell, which is unfortunate. Oh, is it really? Not yeah. that I care. Where I, where I use it, I don't really care. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you nor should most of our listeners in almost any context have to care because, I mean, it might say slow as hell. I mean, slow as hell by, like, can't do this in performance critical parts of Rails. But, like, symbol to proc, one of the big things was that it's significantly faster than just literally writing out the long form equivalent, uh, whereas ampersand method is significantly slower. Interesting. Combined with the knowledge that it will splat out the other parameters that are yielded by the block, I think I'm going to find more uses for symbol to proc now as well. That's why you can pass it to reduce. Oh, right. It didn't always do that, which is why reduce can also just take a symbol. Well, I think reduce could take a symbol before symbol to proc was a thing as well. But like you can, uh, with reduce, right, you can forget the ampersand or you can add the ampersand, but it still works if you have the ampersand, and that's because it's going to splat out subsequent arguments. But what I was trying to say when I started trying to describe what ampersand method was is that I also find that hideous, but have been trying trying it more and more. So like where I think this lonely operator looks ugly and I would prefer not to use or overuse it, I'm willing to try it. And there are places in my applications where I do use try because I feel like this is more appropriate than going all the way to the null object pattern. Because like I said, it is at the fringes of the code. I'm not reusing this object elsewhere right now. I don't pass this around anywhere. So I'm, I'll give it a shot when I'm on two, three projects. Yeah. Let's take a quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor. It's Thinkful. Thinkful provides online design and development classes that are set apart from their competitors by their emphasis on one-on-one -on -one mentorship from experts. When you sign up for Thinkful, you'll be paired with an experienced engineer with whom you'll meet at least once per week and as you learn to build a website or application with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and jQuery. Thinkful is a good fit for designers that want to bring their comps to life with code or beginners that want to be software engineers. They have courses for intermediate developers, too, that are also that are looking to pick up new tools and frameworks such as Rails, Angular, and Node. 
For 20% off your enrollment at Thinkful, visit thinkful.com slash bike shed. That's T-H-I-N-K-F-U-L dot com slash bike shed. Our thanks to Thinkful for supporting the show. Other stuff I really like in 2.3, like I like the dig operator on Yeah, hashes. I was going to say, it's the same anti-pattern, but it's so much more common. And when you need it, you just can't, there's nothing you can do to refactor right, it away. Right, and it's it's perfect for like getting through nested JSON structures or something like that. For, for those who are unfamiliar with dig, it's, been, it's a new method that's um, implemented on hash. And I think enumerable, not array. I don't remember if it's on array or enumerable. It would probably make more sense on array, actually. Anyway, what it does is it takes a series of keys and it returns a empty hash if the value isn't there. Or return an empty hash or do you just have to pass it all of the keys? I don't remember. Um, I'm looking up the documentation for it. That's what you'd answering. use instead of if you were doing dot fetch some key comma empty hash hash dot right. fetch something comma empty hash dot fetch. Uh, this is basically a shorthand for that. And the same for array, but arrays rather than hashes so you pass you pass like hash dot dig and then you give it like the three symbols that you want if you want to go three three levels deep right and no, you if, can do that but my question was does it then return an empty hash if the key is not there or does it return nil nil okay yeah so you have to know all of the keys up front but right and it is defined on hash and array not on a numerable okay that makes sense right and it, and it makes sense too um because just in their documentation you can see they've got an example where you pass a symbol and then an integer and so presumably uses that to figure out like whether you're expecting the... I guess you could pass it in either case. It doesn't need to know, actually. I don't know. What else about 2.3 do you like? Anything else? What's new? I don't even know what's new in there. Those are really the two main things. They added uh, comparison operators to hash as a um, way of determining whether or not a hash is a, com- is a complete subset of another hash. And I really hate that they chose to use the comparison operators for that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like saying if you have a hash that has uh, one key and one value and then another hash that has that same key with that same value and then a different key, that hash is greater than the first hash. Are those comparison operators shorthand for like method names? No. There were uh, method names, but it was concern, but there was concern that the only method names that people could come up with were too close to uh, methods that exist elsewhere and are usually for looking up whether a key or a value is present in the collection. Hmm. So like subset or Yeah, I would have liked is subset like, or and is superset. Or I guess subset question mark, superset question mark. Right. And then equal would be the other check. Right. Right. I'm pretty sure hash hash already implemented equality. <clears throat> right. Um, although does this respect ordering of the keys? So the fact that the keys are ordered in a Ruby hash is an implementation detail. Right. True. Oh, and the other thing that I just remembered that they added that uh, we haven't talked about and we should is did you mean? Oh, so, right. That's there by default. Um, that was a gem before, which I was not aware of until 2.3 came out. And they were like, it's got this did you mean thing. And I was like, oh, really? That looks cool. So if you're not familiar, if you call, if you call a method that's close in name to another method and it's a typo, your error message will you'll get no method undefined method foo and it'll mean it'll say like did you mean food if that's a method in your application and it just makes finding these errors a lot easier like i was talking to my wife the other day about how the trickiest thing for me i'm working on this application that has um, a field called definition and for whatever reason the fact that word has three i's really close together and a t and like just it's super simple for me to put only two eyes in it. And then when I get no method error, stare at it and be like, 
definition. What I don't I don't understand. What are you talking about? So this would probably on this project alone, it would probably save me tens of minutes of just being like, oh, definition. Oh yeah, I see like how when those line up, I see that this one's one character longer, rather than me going back into Vim and like finding finding the where I'm calling it and pressing star and seeing if seeing if it gets highlighted anywhere else. <laughs> be like, oh, I guess I misspelled that wrong somewhere. Where was it? What if you renamed it to Def? <laughs> Def Def. Yes, or deafen. <laughs> there we go. I'm against all abbreviations of any kind. Even though, even the ones that, that you mess up the long form every time? Yep. Uh, I guess I could get over if they wanted to go with init rather than initialize. But like, I don't like unique, U-N-I-Q. That bugs me. Yeah, that one's, that one's silly. Even though, you know, because like, I can never remember there are contexts where APIs have unique that's U-N-I-Q-U-E. <laughs> And I get them confused. I know that usually it's UNIQ. Does Rails do something different? Is that one of those things that can break you out of a relation if you use one and not the other? Yeah, you, like every enumerable method on relation returns uh, an array, not a new relation, because it just implements the enumerable module. Right. So if I want it, so what I'm looking for when I'm in a relation land is distinct. Oh, that's right. Sorry. No, you can call UNIQ on a relation, and that does do distinct. If you have not loaded the query. Right. Interesting times we live in. Yeah. We forgot the biggest feature. What's that? Frozen string fragma. Did that happen? Yeah. Yeah, you can put a magic comment at the top of your file and all string literals are frozen. Unfortunately, well, that impacts a, everything. I think that the right? fact that just strings are mutable is a massive design flaw. That they are mutable is a massive right. design flaw. Okay. Um, right. So A fixes that and then B... Uh, Basically, if you do, so one of the changes they made in Ruby 2.1 was they made it so if you did string literal dot freeze, it would essentially be a symbol. It would keep a pool of frozen strings and would reuse that same object if it, uh, every time it, it uh, sees that same frozen string literal. And so you can now add this magic comment to the top of your file or add a command line flag when you run Ruby and all string literals will be frozen. So you don't have to put dot freeze everywhere and then you allocate fewer objects. If I put that magic comment on the top of my file in my application, is it only applicable to the code in that file? Correct. Okay, so I could do this as a matter of course on every single file in my Rails application and have all of my strings be frozen, but any gems that reply that that do things internally by mutating strings, so long as they're not strings that I'm passing in that I've already frozen, it should be okay. Correct. There's also a, a new debug option where... If you get a can't modify frozen string error, you can add a command line option and it will show you in it, in that error where the string literal was created. Like the line of code where it's created? The yeah, stack trace where it's created? if you're having a hard time finding it. I mean, because uh, the stack trace will show you where you passed it in, but not where it came from, and you might be passing it. You know, it, it might be a frozen string that's like at level six of that stack trace, and it's passing it into it to methods that are called in other cases. And it's not that method that calls the that that calls a mutable a mutating method. It's like six levels down. It can be. It, you can imagine it would be a little painful to find. Same it, same as tracking down nil. Where did nil come from? Right. And what I'm super excited about in Ruby two three is they have removed the warning for private attribute reader. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> No, you don't. Yeah, that's nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I always just I. So it's funny. Um, whenever I'm pairing with Turing students, the first question, especially if they're early, the first question they get is, "Why are you making all of these methods private?" Because like, <laughs> they don't need to be public. Right. 
And they're like, they'll ask me why aren't you using instance variables? I say, because I never use instance variables. Well, why are you making the why are you making just the adder readers p- protected instead of private? And I just say, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's an argument for it in that, like, if you ever wanted to make that into a value object and implement equality, then exactly. making them protected is the way to go. But I can do that when I want to make it into a value object and implement equality. Well, and you and you can tell right that. Or I guess you can't tell, but you can infer that the reasoning most likely wasn't for that, but was instead for why don't you just use an instance variable? Hmm. Yeah, probably. And that's really my problem with Ruby warnings in general, is that they aren't warnings, they're linting. Most of them, several of them. There are some warnings in there, and then there are some things that are more like linting, like private adder. I mean, most languages, those are kind of the same. I don't, I, I feel like it's different with Ruby. Like... It's not that something's ambiguous. It's just like, I don't know about this, like, what, like, or potentially ambiguous. I mean, the things that emit warnings in the Rust compiler are called lint passes. Hmm. Okay. Because have... in theory, isn't everything that's a warning some form of a lint? Well, I guess what I would say is in other languages, I have generally treated warnings as compiler errors, right? I will treat them as errors and fix them and squash them. I will not tolerate a warning. Right. In Ruby, I find it advantageous to tolerate warnings and do not run Ruby with warnings on for that reason because I want to have a private adder reader or whatever the case may be. There's lots of warnings that I That's the do not only agree one that's with. ever been painful to me is the is the private attribute question mark because we run the Rails test suite with Rails emits no warnings. Sometimes one of our dependencies will start emitting warnings, and then we'll have to go submit a pull request to one of our dependencies to fix the warnings. Ruby Gems was emitting warnings for a while. That was one of my uh, first like forays into open source. Was somebody was like, "You want to get involved in open source, but you don't know where to start? Run the Rails test suite, watch the warnings get that get emitted, and then go fix them in either Rails or in that gem." Um, and that was one of the first things I did was go around to different gems and like fix shadowing local variables and things like that. Like that's an example of something I would treat as an error because it is confusing right. when you shatter a local when you shadow a local variable. But it's the same thing. It's a lint. <sighs> I guess like there are definitely there are definitely the warnings for like when an asterisk is syntactically ambiguous as to whether or not you are splatting arguments or trying to call the times method. Um, if you omit parentheses, hmm. but that's like only Ruby has syntax that can truly be that ambiguous. Right. The other one I get it on is regexes. Calling a regex without wrapping it in parentheses is oftentimes you get you get an ambiguous warning for that. Oh, here's another warning that I disagree with: is the uh, instance variable not initialized? So if you use an instance variable mm-hmm. for memoization in your application, that if you one want to will avoid. Give an error. If you want to avoid that, you have to. It won't give an error? Is that what you said? No, that one does not give an error. It gives a warning. Or right. a warning, rather. No, that case does not. Are you going to make me write Ruby code right now, live on the air? If you, do, if you do instance variable or something, that will give you a warning. But instance variable double equals, or, uh, or equals doesn't give a warning. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's probably where I've rem- I probably have it misremembered. Pro tip. If, you, if the value that you're memoizing happens to be falsy... Even if computing it is, uh, even if computing it is really cheap, using defined question mark is faster than or equals, because uh, or equals will always run, will always run the right hand side if you've memoized a false value. Yeah, so you can you can do you can you can use it for memoization. All right, well then maybe I'll be all right with that. 
Uh, I'm gonna have to start I'm, now that they've gotten rid of private adder I'm gonna give it a shot again running Ruby with warnings and I'll probably be depressed because that's the other problem is that like it's going to show me the warnings from all of my dependencies as well well and that's just yeah which I have not seen in other compilers rust will it'll show you warnings from all your dependencies as well or rather cargo will because rust doesn't have dependencies right um, cargo and cargo is just compiling your dependencies on the fly so right which I guess is what Ruby's doing as well so yeah. Kind of makes sense. Um, I put deny warnings at the top of all my crates in Rust. What's that mean? Uh, turn all warnings into errors. Yep. 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 That's what I used to do in like C sharp projects. But <laughs> not like I said in Ruby because I just couldn't trust it. Right. Well, and that's the thing, right? Ruby doesn't really have a concept of scope in terms of uh, like files where they belong rather or, or what they belong to. Right. So, like, you could totally do that, but that would have to set some sort of flag globally or per file, but you couldn't really have it be something that applies to an entire project, but not the dependencies of that project. Right. Or the thing that depends on it. It would have to be per file or global. So could you have a pragma that was, like, lint this file, just as you have a pragma that is frozen string literals in this file? You could, but the Ruby core team has generally been trying to avoid pragmas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they had the UTF-8 pragma in 1.8 and prior, but that went away in 1.9. And so up until 2.3, this is the uh, there were no pragmas in Ruby. Okay. So And this is only here because they're thinking about making this change universally for Ruby 3. Yeah, right. We, we discussed that on the show before. Um, yeah, the, the scope thing is interesting. I was reminded today, I ran into somebody that I used to work with who, when I left my previous job, took over the Rails app I was I had written and had not written any Rails before and was a Java developer and wanted me to like give him a few hours of a run-through of like what he might want to look out for. Smart guy and everything, so it was going to be fine. And we walked through everything, and he was like, well, where's this method come from? I'd be like, oh, that's defined in this gem that I'm using. He'd be like, okay. And then he'd ask about this other DSL-y looking thing. He'd be like, what's that? I'm like, oh, this is this other gem. He's like, where are you requiring all of this stuff? And I was like, oh, well, uh, Bundler kind of does it by magic. Not really magic, but you have to go, you know, poking through this uh, application.rb file, and you'll see that it, you know, bundler.require here, and it tells you what groups you're requiring, and then it requires all this stuff for you, unless you put require false in the gem file. He's like, okay, that's great, but how do you people know <laughs> where anything comes from? <laughs> That's not like, the dot source location, obviously. <laughs> I was like, we don't. We don't. <laughs> we Google the method name and see if it comes up. I I do method dot source location personally. Okay. Yeah. I do it a lot. I do now that like I have a bundle search command that I will do like bundle search def uh, you know def and then the method name or something like that. But oftentimes that leads me astray because it doesn't it's there isn't it's not defined in that manner. It's defined right. with defined method or something like that. Or def self dot. Yeah, or class, yeah, whatever. Anyway, yeah, class, class, uh, double arrow self dot. But so you're looking for def self dot, but it's right. using class, <laughs> uh, not double arrow, double less than right. self. Oh, one more Ruby two three change. The squiggly here doc, which I'm excited about. Are you aware of the squiggly here doc? I vaguely recall, but remind me. So when you do multi line strings in Ruby, you have a few options. You can do the here doc, which is like less than less than hyphen and then like an identifier and yeah. then on the next line you write that identifier again that closes the thing but that maintains all of the white space so if you indent your here doc to line up with your code you now have a bunch of white space like six spaces over on the left of that multi-line string that get maintained right. 
there's strip here doc from active support an active support that doesn't do what you think it does almost almost never what you want uh <laughs> what does it do i, I don't remember but then <laughs> I, 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 I thought it just because it, t- it takes just the the number of spaces on the first line of the string and then strips those from every that from the beginning of every line Stop calling me on my things, John. <laughs> You're probably confusing it with dot .squish, which is the other thing that people usually use yeah. in association with here docs. Okay, so here we go. Okay, so your option, so your other option would be to like do your here doc and then like left align your like left align your here doc all the way over regardless of where in the code it appeared and that looks ugly, right? So I guess it is very similar to strip to here doc. So squiggly here squiggly here doc Let's see. Let me find the description of what it actually does, so I don't. So get it's, it's just basically strip here doc, but <laughs> in the language. That's cool because that'll also, like the the compiler can just do that, right? Rails when we do it, we have to go do a bunch of nasty runtime shit. Right, and so right, it's a so good the compiler can just be like, oh, I know what this string literal is. Oh, and this blog post here that I'm reading about it says the feature was suggested by Prem two years ago. Cool. So thanks, Prem. Squiggly thanks, here doc. Prem. It's all you. Except, well, I don't think he implemented it. But. It's, funny, it's funny, though, that you were just talking about, like, your Java developer friend. Because um, one of the people who started the same time I did at Shopify and was in onboarding with me, um, she had never done Rails before. And yesterday, she just she uh, DMs me, Pooter has convinced me that Ruby is just pure sorcery. That Ruby is pure sorcery? Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Elaborate on, on what specifically, but it's just one of those like, yeah, yeah, it is, because she was a .NET developer before this. <laughs> yeah, there's no explicitness at all. I mean, there's some, but you can do some crazy stuff. It's amazing anything works. It's really amazing anything in this entire industry works. Let's be honest. Yeah. And most of the time, well, I mean, most of the time it works, but frequently it doesn't. <laughs> We're all just doing the best we can. I would. I- Frequently is a strong word. Frequently enough, things don't work. Like, how many times a day do you run into computer systems that do not operate the way they should? About half a dozen. Right, <laughs> right. That's pretty. Although I guess you run into thousands, hundreds, thousands of com- things that are powered by computers in your lifetime. So maybe, and in your, you know, per day. Yeah, and so, so based on that metric, like maybe fifty to sixty percent of them work, kind of some of the time. That makes Just sense. try turning it off and turning it back on again. <laughs> you, it's usually the fix. Today, my monitor didn't work, and the fix was to zap the PRAM on, <laughs> the, on, on OS X, which, of course, you know, I don't know what that means, but I did it, and it worked. Rebooting, oh, rebooting oh, when did you hold down work. all of the buttons? You hold down, like, I think it's like Control-Command-PR for right. PRAM, and it yeah. reboots twice when you do that or whatever. Rebooting yeah, didn't fix it. Your but, adapter but, fl- yeah. flickers. Resetting that, resetting that PRAM, that that fixed my external monitor somehow. Mutable state, basically. That's the funny thing. Whenever the solution is to turn it off and turn it back on again, that's somebody using global mutable state poorly in the uh, firmware. Wow. And or software. That's deep. I think we should leave it there. Cool. <laughs> deep thoughts from Sean Griffin. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 47. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any other, you can email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, tweet us at underscore bikeshed, or leave feedback on the website. Thanks for listening to Bikeshed, and we'll see you next time. So Star Wars. What did you think of Star Wars? I liked it. Spoiler alert if this happens to stay in. This is 
on Tom's whim. I think I think this should stay in. But. Okay. Um, yeah. So spoiler alert: we're going to talk about Star Wars now. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I was never a huge Star Wars fan. Like I liked the first three movies that came out chronologically, four, five, and six episodes, four, five, and six. I liked them. I don't like have super clear memories of them as a child, but I remember liking them okay. And then like the prequels, I was kind of like, well, eh, whatever. You know, these are kind of crap. And I wasn't super excited about a new Star Wars until I went and went to go see it finally. And I was like, this is great. I don't want this to end. Yeah. Um, and I totally understand all of the criticisms that people level against it. Like I can see that like, oh, well, it's just the same movie again. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is just the same movie again. So what? It's better acted and there's better effects. Well, and I think there's part some of it is that they characters. want to establish that they can make a good Star Wars movie so that in eight and nine, they can maybe go a little bit more out there. Maybe. And even even like I said, even though it was a good it was it was basically the same movie again with some new characters. I care about the new characters, which is which is great because I didn't care about any of the characters in, in the prequels. That's for sure. And it is way better acted than the prequels or even the original tr- trilogy. Yes. Um, I, I don't know about all of the original trilogy. I, I think it is firmly number two after Empire. Oh, Yeah. I meant on an act, just on an acting level, like just being oh, like, yeah, yeah, for sure, right. Um, but I think it is one of the more enjoyable Star Wars movies. Um, it's Empire, and this are my were my most enjoyable ones. Yeah, I think I think it's like if you're gonna try and rank them, it's a question of are you ranking them in terms of how they were at the time they were released or how they are now. Um, and I think, <laughs> cause, well, because A New Hope, Tess and I have rewatched all of them recently, and A New Hope just aged terribly. Definitely. I agree. Same with Jedi. Empire aged really well. Empire is still just a damn good movie. I still, I, I have a hard time getting over Mark Hamill. I just, <laughs> sorry, Mark. Uh, I just don't think he's a great actor. And it, it kind of does ruin it sometimes for me, especially with the stuff they in Empire that they added in, in the special editions. Uh, oh, the special editions. <laughs> he's yeah, a really good voice actor, though. That's right here. I hear that he's been doing a lot of that. And he doesn't get to talk at all in this. <laughs> right. That, that was the one thing I would say is I thought that that was a little, they didn't, they didn't need to go there. I knew she was going there. People wanted to see Luke Skywalker. So I, I get that. But like they could have ended without him being in that movie. Want to know something about that scene that you probably didn't notice? Sure. He's standing over a grave. I didn't know what he was standing over. It's a grave. It's uh. definitely like I, I, I was looking for it the second time. It's definitely a grave. Did you see it in 3D or did you see it in regular? Just regular. I saw it in regular. I have a friend who wants to go see it and I'm trying to convince him to go see it in 3D even though I don't really care about 3D. I'm like, if I'm going to see it a second time, I might as well see what it's like in 3D because I heard it's halfway decent. Yeah, I saw uh, it opening night and then again on Christmas with my mom. Probably see it a third time. The other thing I hear people complaining about is um, the fact that and really, spoiler alert here, if you're going to go see Star Wars, stop listening right now. Uh, the fact that Han dies people being pissed off about that and it's like that death was the best death that character could ever hope for and they just and like they can't carry all of these characters throughout right. all of these movies they have to get rid of some of them and frankly if like just looking at harrison ford he seems to be the type of person who's like all right i got one more star wars movie in me yeah no like, i mean i mean i think it's super <laughs> obvious that in 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 the contract negotiations like all right i'll do one more but you gotta kill me because he <laughs> hates these he hates nerds and he hates doing interviews <laughs> But, like, that character, right, should have randomly gotten shot by Greedo in the cantina or should have gotten killed by Jabba the Hutt or should have just gotten murdered by any of the gangs out there that have it out for him, like the two that they had in the unnecessary scene in this movie. 
right? He should have died a random meaningless death somewhere in the universe, and this character got the most meaningful way that character is ever going to go out, so. That makes sense. I thought that was good. But yeah, the new, the, the new, the new characters were really, really well done. Yep, I care about every single one of them. Like when Poe, in the beginning of the movie, they crash, and it seems like he's dead. I was sad, and the movie is 10 minutes old, you know, or 20 minutes old or whatever. And I was like, oh, he seemed like he was going to be a really interesting character. And then he goes away for the majority of the movie, and he comes back at the very end, and you're like, oh, great. I'm going to have a whole other two movies with this guy. Fantastic. And they had that great reunion sequence with him and, and uh, Finn. Yep, yep. And Do I really hope they're setting up for a romance? <laughs> Ooh, interesting. I would love to see Disney do a gay interracial couple in a major in Star um, motion picture because that would be so huge. Oh, God. People lost their shit when the stormtrooper was black. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. On the one hand, it's like Disney couldn't do that, could they? But if you think about it, Disney's one of the more progressive companies. Maybe, except... Like so, now, not old Disney. Let's talk about... Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not going to go there. Um, let's talk... So. My kid has not seen any of the Star Wars movie. He's seen 20 minutes of, of A New Hope, and he's just too scared. He's five. And I also have a three-year-old. He's way too young. But he's into the characters of it, and he's into playing Star Wars. He has lightsabers. And so for Christmas, Santa got him. Um, not going to spoil that one. Uh, <laughs> Santa got him <laughs> some Star Wars action figures from the... Not action figures. They're like Star Wars models from the Disney store that had like... Ray and Finn and uh, Flame Trooper and a few other things. Had like six characters in it, BB-8, that stuff. And he likes it, but they're not action figures, so he can't like, like they just, he can play with them, but they don't move or anything like that. Sure. So he was in Target and he saw, Target has this like $50 collection of action figures. $50 for six action figures is not terrible. Like they looked like, you know, it's overpriced, but whatever. Uh, it could have been way more. And my wife was there with him, and he wanted it. And my wife said no because Ray was not included. Somehow, That's pretty badass, right? So somehow, the main character of the movie didn't make it into this action figure set, despite the fact that one of the characters is a unnamed Tie Fighter pilot, and <laughs> another one of the characters is an unnamed stormtrooper, like Cap, you know, the guy with the red badge, or whatever. Right. One of those guys, but she doesn't make it in somehow and like you look around at all the other merchandise and she's really not in a lot of things for whatever reason hmm. and that's probably not disney's decision alone like i imagine it's whoever they license the toys to to right. decide what they're gonna make but it, it she my wife was all fired up about it and i could not blame her i was like i'm sure it's just all sold out and then i went on the internet and it's actually like a thing like this where's ray hashtag is a thing um, people are wondering where why she's missing from all these toys and hasbro had to like say that they will add her there's a board there's like a monopoly board game which is terrible i don't know why anybody wants to play this game anyway but somehow she's not in it as a playable character despite the fact that everybody else is so they had to say like okay we're going to add her in the next the next time we print this board game we're going to add her huh so yeah she's missing from a bunch of stuff so well, that's unfortunate because yeah, she was like one of the best characters she's one of the best characters and clearly going to be the focal point of the series right moving forward but like also just was a well-played character mm-hmm I liked. I don't remember the actress's name, but I liked her better than Jennifer Lawrence. What was Jennifer Lawrence? The Hunger Games. Oh, I didn't see the Hunger Games. But that's okay. like the most directly comparable movie that has a strong female lead that you know has similar. Okay, I thought you were trying to tell me that Jennifer people. Lawrence was in Star Wars, and I know there's no. a lot. Of, there are a lot of people in Star Wars that you don't oh, know yeah. that are in. I mean, every in Star random Wars, but... extra is some major actor who just wanted to be a part of it. Right. 
Um, I thought I I I remember when I read that Daniel Craig was the stormtrooper who they got the, the who she plays the mind trick on. I thought that was. Yeah, I think Justin was just telling me that about that the other day, and that's where I was like, "What, really?" <laughs> you know the character I thought I was gonna hate, but I fell in love with so fast. BB-8. Yes, they did a fantastic as as does a job. Lighter thumbs up. He just did a fantastic. They did a fantastic job. I was talking about this today in chat with Prem. Like R two D two was well done because like you can't understand what he's saying, but like there's some emotion in what he says, right. and the ability now with BB eight to like have some movement along with what he's saying is just like takes that to a whole level. It doesn't matter like that we don't know exactly what he's saying. He has enough to show like to be a totally engrossing character. Yeah, which is bizarre. Yeah, um, you know, they made a BB eight Sphero. <laughs> of course they did. And the little head sticks on the top with a magnet. Right. And he brings you BB-8 oranges, as we discussed. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, I'm looking forward to see what they do with the next one. I do hope that they go a little bit more, like, out there. Hmm. Don't play it quite as safe. I think they were going always going to play it safe with this. There was no way that they were going to spend this much money on this big of a franchise and make this big of a movie and not play it super safe for the first one. Right, and just prove that they can make this movie and make it good. Exactly. And make it enjoyable. And but, like, I, don't, I just fail to see, you can't, you can't see it and not enjoy it. Like, it's, it's right. fun. Sorry. Yeah. No, <laughs> like it's you good. Can, you mean, can take all of the quibbles you want with it about, you know, whether or not it's a good film. Uh, but it's a great movie. So. <laughs> well, and then um, we didn't even talk about uh, Kylo Ren, who I think is, like, the best Star Wars villain they've ever done. I like, like that. I like that actor, and I didn't know it was him until he took off his mask. I was like, oh, that's the guy. I love that actor. Has and he, I can't has remember he been his name. in stuff? Um, he's in Girls, and he's been in a couple other things, like TV show on HBO. Oh, okay. um, I've seen him in a couple other things. Really like him. But um, also, like, yeah, I, what, what do you like about him? I mean, he has dimension and a story to him. Your average, like, you, A, I love that he's batshit crazy. Villains that are batshit crazy are the best. You know, that, what, like, when he throws these massive ten, temper tantrums and doesn't kill his staff, because you can tell he, he has a very different relationship with them, whereas like Darth Vader was supreme uh, military leader of the Empire. He's more of just sort of like also reports to the, the to supreme leader Snoke, but isn't necessarily in charge of the military. And, you know, so like I love that he just has a different relationship. His temper tantrums are terrifying. And I love that, you know, that scene where the stormtroopers are coming around, uh, around the corner and they're like, nope. Right. And they um, just turn around. Right. But it's like your average Star Wars villain, right? Think about every Star Wars villain they've ever had. Sith Lord, really powerful, looks evil as shit, good with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. Like, that's every villain they've done, more right. or less. And this guy checks off almost none of those, but is still terrifying. He might be really good with a lightsaber. He was hurt. Remember, he was right. hurt at the end. And they did a really good job explaining, like, because I feel like I talked to other people and they're like, how would Finn be able to hold his own against this guy who's a Jedi with a lightsaber? And, and even, like, how, how would Rey be able to do so well? Even well, though Ray like, trains with her staff, but she's just learning like her whole Jedi powers and and how to she's never used a lightsaber before, right? right. <laughs> like she 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 got hit with a or she didn't get hit with a bowcaster, which like <laughs> blew up everybody else that it hit. Point right, blank like and that. I think that's that's the point I was making is they made they they made several points throughout the movie that that thing is really powerful, that Chewbacca's weapon, the bowcaster. I didn't know that's what it was called, but that that thing's really powerful. They made that a point throughout the whole thing. He gets hit by that. Even during the fight, they have him like pounding his stomach, and you can see him bleeding. Right. Um, so I think that they set that up pretty well. 
Plus, he, there's actually no reason he would be particularly good with a lightsaber because they make it pretty clear that he's not trained. He's still very early on in his training. That's true. And he wouldn't ha- exactly have a lot of excuses to get into a lightsaber fight with another individual. Yeah, that makes I sense. I mean, I'm not saying it would have been his first, but you got to imagine that it's probably right. only been a handful of times. Yeah, we'll have to have him on the podcast and ask. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, can we book J.J. Abrams? <laughs> I just, yeah, I really like the, uh, I thought he was great. I, I love that he's just like a whiny kid, basically. Yeah. Um, I didn't like Snoke as much. I thought it was stupid, and I was super excited to see that he was a hologram at the end. Oh, you did? I, I, I why did, I, am I the only one who just immediately assumed he was a hologram because emp- the Emperor was a giant hologram in the originals? Was he a giant, though? Yeah, he was. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, Darth I was Vader like, goes into chamber. There's giants now. I was like, <laughs> "What's happening?" I and mean, you I only like, see the Emperor's head. Like, they don't have the whole body hologram, but the the Emperor was a giant hologram. And I just assumed that was. But the it pair. wasn't obvious that he was a hologram. I thought the fact like that he was giant made it obvious. Right, but the Emperor, you could tell, was a hologram. <laughs> right. Um, and he wasn't. It wasn't obvious that this guy was a hologram. So I was happy. I, I didn't really care that much, but I was like, "Oh, okay. Then this is just—he's a gigantic hologram." But that's fine. I hope they do more with him, though, because like the theory is that well, and it's not. Even, I mean, it's pretty. I think they're pushing towards it that he's Darth Plagueis, who was the Emperor's uh, trainer, who the Emperor killed. And there was a whole thing in the third episode where he talks about how Darth Plagueis could bring people back from the dead, and so it would make sense that he came back from the dead. And that gash in his face looks an awful lot like a lightsaber wound. Hmm. But with what they did with him in this movie, he was that checklist I was just mentioning earlier. Minus some points, actually, right? But there was nothing really to that character, so I hope they do something interesting with him. Right. And not just have him be yet another evil Sith Lord. Well, we'll find out in two years. Year and a half. <laughs> Year and a half. Next and it'll be, be something to entertain us as a little, a little appetizer next Yeah, Christmas. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Right. Yeah, Chad was telling me about that. It's going to be like the... Um, the story of how they came into possession of the Death Star plans in the first movie. Yeah, uh, it's going to not be a Star Wars movie, apparently. It'll be set in the universe, but like we'll have none of the same thematic elements or tone. It'll just oh. be a completely independent movie, basically. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So that's the Bike Shed's hot take on uh, on Star Wars, which I'm sure you all stayed tuned for. Stayed 10 out of 10, stayed tuned see for. again. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to go see it again. So, And I don't see very many movies twice in the theater, so... All right, we already wrapped up, so that's it. See ya. Okay, talk to you later. (laughs)